Welcome to the Penguin Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Tate. It's my very first Halloween special. Joining me this week is Skeptical Witch, accomplished performer, and expert in tarot, Kristen Lambert. We discuss using the tarot and elements of witchcraft in the performance of magic, general ooky spooky stuff, and touch on spiritualism and its history. I think this is a conversation that we have that is important because often in magic, we find attitudes and different types of plots and presentations changing. And uh, it's, it's a pretty interesting episode. I think you'll find the conversation fascinating. Thanks for tuning in to this special Halloween edition of the show, and now you get to join our conversation. <coughs> Kristen Lambert, thanks so much for joining me here on the Penguin Magic Podcast for our, I think this is the very first Halloween special. How are- yes, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you, Eric. I, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here because we talked, we touched on this a little bit when we first had you on the podcast and then you and I have gotten to become friends afterwards and we've talked about this a little more. Um, but, uh, you have some very strong opinions about how tarot should be used in magic. And I was wondering if you could share with our audience a little bit more about that. Cause I think that one of the, th- we, we've started to, as a group, have like conversations about like are these really chinese coins or is this like a weird looking brass washer with a bunch of like so, sort of like vaguely asian looking characters on it um <laughs> yeah and like you know like uh sort of you know, the, the mysticism of india or whatever is like g- like not being found on every wooden prop and i think tarot is one of those things that people just go halloween tarot let's do it and right I'll let you, I'll let right. you talk now. Yeah. I just, you know, it occurred to me there was, um, I, I saw a video of someone performing recently and they started with, do you believe in the tarot? Mm-hmm. And, you know, show me you're not a tarot reader without showing me you're not a tarot reader. Um, it's like, you don't, that's not how you would open. Tarot is not necessarily a belief system per se. I use air quotes there. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's a lens through which to view a situation. And so as you read the tarot, how do we see the situation we're looking at reflected through these cards or how can we interpret the situation and think about it differently through the cards? So if you're starting your tarot routine with, do you believe in the tarot? Like I, you know nothing about the tarot. That's not, that's just, yeah. you know, it's not, that, that's not the in per se. Mm-hmm. And so I also go back to, you know, uh, in that video, someone pulled, I think they pulled the lovers or something. Mm-hmm. And the performer said, your love life is going to improve, which is not quite what the lovers means you know there are elements of romance that can be associated with that card but just because it's the lovers that's not necessarily it's not what that means so if people just have a a, a lack of understanding about the cards and yet are trying to kind of give this reading that they've memorized that should apply to everybody or and, and you're using these these barnum statements that are very uh, obvious. Mm-hmm. I just, I just don't find that as, I just don't find that as hard work in the same way that you can, you can have card work that is serious card work. And then you have card work that's very lazy. Yeah. It's no different to me than that. 
Okay. It's like, are you learning moves? Are you learning a, about the way the technique is and your handling? Or are you just kind of b bumbling through an invisible deck because, yeah, it gets a nice reaction? And so that's kind of how I view a lot of this tarot stuff is like, I'm not saying you can't do tarot. I think everyone should learn about it. It's fascinating. It's interesting. And it can resonate and help a lot of people. But if you're just going to have a very lazy approach of, oh, death, somebody's going to die. That's not what death means, you know, <laughs> just because that's the literal imagery. That's not always what that means. So that's my encouragement to people who do want to do something with tarot for Halloween, for example, or, or any time of the year. I, tarot is year-round. Yeah. Uh, you know, do the work. I guess, so you probably know a bit more about tarot than me. I, I, uh, I was a, a Wiccan in high school. And so mm -hmm. I, I studied a fair amount of, of tarot stuff like back in the day. Um, but all of that knowledge has completely left my brain. And I think what, what I find interesting and where I thought this was going to head was don't just do tarot for tarot's sake in a magic effect. You were saying, use it. It is very powerful imagery but do the work and, and actually right. understand what you're talking about, which is, which and is that, interesting. And thus that means mm -hmm. if you're going to do tarot, don't do it as a substitute for ambitious card, like, and you're, you know, or whatever card effect you're trying to do or magic trick you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I'm going to use tarot. So now it means something. Yeah. It only means something if you actually infuse true meaning into it. The nature of the tarot is not any more meaningful than any other painting or even a deck of cards. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it stands that if you're going to do it in your show, then commit and do it as a reading or do it in a meaningful way, not just like, oh, I want to do this card trick, but it's Halloween, so I'll use tarot. You know, Again, I think that's lazy. I think that's disrespectful, if I may be so bold. Yeah. Uh, disrespectful, as we talked about on the previous podcast, of the people who have built our foundations of what the tarot is, mm -hmm. which is generally women and generally women of color. And so we have to have a respect for that. And if you're just substituting it for this oil and water routine or whatever you're doing, yeah. like, oh, wow, you can Elmsley count a tarot or good for you. But what does it, what it doesn't mean anything inherent in the cards. It's about what you interpret through the cards. It almost seems like using, using tarot cards for like a Halloween effect or just to, to imbue it with meaning is like no different than changing up your standard oil and water or wild card routine with magic, the gathering and Pokemon cards without understanding right. that like th th there's a way to do that where it, it actually becomes meaningful because you're either dealing with the story material that the cards represent comes from or mm -hmm. some more intrinsic thing. Like, you know, if you're doing wild card with Pokemon cards, for example, then, you know, you would be dealing with the rarity value of the cards. And in the same way, it's, it's this with tarot, if you're looking at it as just like, Oh, this is, you know, associated with witchcraft for, you know, for ignorant reasons, um, then you're just, you're, you're, you're not getting the real value of it. And it sounds like you've done work to go so much deeper with using magic in your tarot. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? 
Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, I have a whole uh, close-up set that's that's all tarot, mm -hmm. and it doesn't read like a, a magic show. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a few moments that are a little magic-y, but I mean, it doesn't read that way when you watch it. In the same way, you know, I've been doing this residency down here, Mystique La Jolla, mm -hmm. and people say, wow, I thought I was coming to a magic show. I didn't realize I was coming to, to this. And, you know, so there's a difference in how you perform it in the same way that it's like, oh, it's Halloween. So I'm going to do a ghost thing, yeah. you know, and, and you see people who will have people write down the name of someone who has passed mm -hmm. with no context, yeah. no, no setting up this shouldn't be someone who died two weeks ago. Maybe this shouldn't be someone who you have bad associations with. Maybe this, you know, you ha if you're going to do, there's nothing wrong. Again, there's nothing wrong with getting into deceased people, mm -hmm. names, revelations, etc. If you have a trust with your whole audience specifically with the spectator that you're using you've been watching them all night and you feel like this could be a good person um and there's uh and you have built in compassion tenderness and a way to deal with the emotions that come up mm -hmm. but you see i mean you see these people who are just like think of someone who's died yeah. no 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 setup just think of that name oh who's Brian and it's this person is just destroyed yeah. and again that's you're no better than these you know fake mediums who are taking advantage of people's emotions and yeah. taking advantage of their grief so that's where it's there's a very there's a line in the sand here with mm -hmm. all of this kind of mystical stuff mm -hmm. where if you're just going to use it to take advantage of people or, Oh, I know that I'm hoping that this sitter believes it. I go back to beliefs. Cause that's how people think yeah. of it. Oh, I hope you believe in the tarot. Cause then this will be something for you. Mm -hmm. And you have no compassion for the fact like you don't believe or adhere or are interested. You haven't done the work on the tarot and this person is getting a quote unquote reading from you. It's something you've memorized or maybe, you know, a little bit of how to cold read and you kind of throw out a few things, but there's, there's no emotional connection there between you and the person. Mm -hmm. And so how is that any different than you just doing a, a, a professor's nightmare? Yeah. Because there's no emotional context. Uh, connection you can do a professor's nightmare that has more emotional connection than you not understanding tarot and trying to do a reading for someone you're better off going in the professor's nightmare direction you know i i love just because it's a tricky trick magic trick look at paul v hill who has people covering their eyes and screaming and freaking out for his rope tricks yeah and it's absolutely possible to take standard magic and have it be meaningful but just to think that because this is a witchy thing or oh it's halloween and it's ghosts you can't just wreck people I need to with no with no sense as to how to deal with this. I need to reprimand you just briefly. Um, Paul okay. V. Hill's not a magician. He is an actual wizard. He is doing real magic. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about with the tricks. <laughs> All right, now now that we've addressed that, um, <laughs> uh, no, I I see where you're where you're headed with this though. Um, to draw a uh, a comparison that I think might um, resonate with a lot of people. Uh, 
the there are a lot of people who do gospel magic and they mm-hmm. they will use stories from the Bible as illustrative effects in order for them to witness. Now, whatever you think about that magic or, you know, the the Christian religion or its themes and stuff like that is sort of beside the point. It is it, it is taking that uh, those stories and that tradition and using it as a magical presentation in a way that is relatively respectful to that magi- uh, to that tradition um, because it has that goal. And I th- and what I'm hearing you argue, and again, I'm asking, I'm not telling, is if you're going to do stuff surrounding witchcraft or tarot with your magic, you need to like actually think about the fact that, that what you're doing is taking from a tradition that you don't know from and you're just you're you're using it as um, uh, just a, a silly Halloween mask for your mm-hmm. ma- your magic, and mm-hmm. and so to have more thoughtfulness about some of that stuff, and not that it's not okay to use tarot and use witchcraft and those themes and elements, but think about where it's coming from. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even anything ghost related that's mm-hmm. largely based on spiritualism, which is founded on again the facts of women who created this kind of uh could you expand the religion i'm sorry could you expand on that you've said that twice now that it's built on the backs of women in regards to tarot and now spiritualism and i oh no i'm not i i nuts um but the the foundation depending on you can argue it came from england people say it's generally fox sisters here in the united states um, my point is that women created what would be this religion of spiritualism and a lot of that, like Anne Eva Fay and... I, I, you're saying names that I think our, our audience might not be familiar with. I'm trying to give you a platform to talk about where that comes from. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, yes, there, like Anne Eva Fay uh, was, a, was a spiritualist, but she also was a magician. She mm. invented the dancing handkerchief that Blackstone would popularize. She was a close confidant of Houdini because Houdini would attend her seances and he, there were certain things she would do that he just didn't quite have an explanation for. So he became very fascinated with her and they actually became close friends Mm -hmm. and she would invent things for him as well. But when you are Googling around looking for Anna Eva Faye info, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's hard to find accurate information. Mm-hmm. A lot of these people have been written out of history for reasons that that's a whole separate podcast, Yeah. but, um, you know, or even, I mean, there are, there are, there are so, I mean, the Fox sisters would flip flop back and forth on whether or not stuff they were doing was real, but there were people who very much believed that this was real mm-hmm and would engage in these spiritualism practices and go to these mediums and hope to connect with loved ones. Yeah. And we can, we can go back and forth and it was all tricks and it was all not and all, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of neither here nor there. My, my point here is that if you're going to try to do ghost stuff, look to Emma Harange Britain. Now she was English and she was an opera singer turned skeptic who at first set out to discredit the spiritualist movement mm-hmm. because she believed that it was just like, oh, those gullible Americans, but she would eventually join them. And she became one of the most prominent speakers of all of, you know, UK and America Yeah, and Victoria Woodall, who was 
She was the very first woman to run for president of the United States. And she, she kind of, now she's a bit of a sticky figure. She kind of flip-flopped on certain issues like abortion, etc. But my point is that if we're going to do ghost stuff, do your deep dive. Yeah. In the same way of if you want to learn, if you want to learn a matrix, do a deep dive. It applies to anything in magic. This is not just unique to, you know, uh, to bizarre stuff or, or tarot stuff or witchcraft adjacent stuff. But the, the slight difference is like, yes, we all want a reverence to Marlowe, but there's a bit of a different reverence when it comes to whether it's spiritualism stuff, but specifically witchcraft and tarot stuff because of the way it was pretty much created from people who were oppressed, marginalized, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So there's a bit of a different reverence there. And also it's very much a a practice that people maintain to this day. And it's a very, very, very ancient practice going all the way back to ancient Sumer and Greece and all of this. And so it's a little bit more in depth than just, oh, I worship Vernon. Like it's a little bit different than that. But it's the same kind of energy, I mean, to say of like, do the work regardless of what you're going to do. You know, it, it's sort of fascinating to me as you're as you're saying this, like I'm agreeing with all of it sort of internally because especially when you compare it to this, like, you know, I have a very close friend who carries a photo of Marlowe around in their wallet and, you know, nothing against that person, right? But when it comes to sort of the ooky spooky bizarre stuff, it's sort of, it almost like gets commercialized a little bit. And, and I and I do wonder if some of that is because of like, particularly in the US where you and I are both based, that Halloween is, is such a commercialized holiday. Absolutely. You know, people want the spooky Halloween show. Yeah. And then so people say, okay, well, I'll do tarot, I'll do a death thing, I'll do this. Yeah. And again, not only sometimes do they lack the reverence for all that we were just talking about, but to go back to like having a compassion and tenderness for your spectators with this stuff because mm. it's heavy it's real yeah not just it's not just pick a card oh i found it there's a lot more imbued in it mm-hmm. and you also don't know where they stand with things and so it's not just a, a reverence for the history but a reverence for your spectators and so i think that's very important to stress as well yeah but to your point about halloween being commercialized yeah absolutely i mean it's really I mean, Halloween, if you look at it traditionally, whether you want to date it back to Celtic or Gaelic and then pagan and eventually, Wiccans didn't really get a hold of Samhain, which is what it's known as, the the wheel of the year holiday. Uh, Wiccans didn't really really get a hold of it until the 80s, but regardless, uh, that's also debated, but regardless... there's also some stuff about like the modern Wiccan movement and how it's either both created new stuff and adapted things and trying and to I'm check out lineages. To, no, it's, it's I'm a- not here to nitpick any of that. <laughs> My point is that if we're looking at the origins yeah. of the wheel of the year holiday, mm-hmm. the festival of Samhain, which is um, not spelled as it sounds. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it was very much about taking stock of the fall harvest. It comes before fall equinox and before and after fall equinox and before winter equinox. And it's very much just about taking stock 
of the harvest. What are we going to keep? How are we going to store it? What are we going to discard? And that in turn translated to a very internal practice as well of what am I leaving behind, traits of mine, thoughts of mine, um, behaviors of mine, and what am I going to try to cultivate and or what am I going to try to hold on to through the winter and even starting to think about what am I going to try to cultivate for the spring? Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. All that being said, they also believed that, you know, the 31st of, well, what we now have is the 31st of October through the 1st or 2nd of November, depending on the year, um, is that it's a liminal time mm-hmm. when the, the normal order of the universe is suspended, mm-hmm. so to speak. So it's like a ritual transition. We have altered states in that sense. People believed their ancestors would return at that time. The veil was very thin. They didn't have that terminology, but I'm saying for us. Um, And so they felt that all of the, the demons and monsters and bad things that would maybe attack them in the night uh, aren't going to do that at this time because you have ancestral protection. Um, Yeah. No, it's it's kind of fascinating because depending on like what tradition you look at, it uh, that, that it's very it, at least in in the limited amount of study that I've done uh, across these things, you, you do sort of around this time of year have many different traditions talking about how, and again because for lack of a term at the time, a, a thin veil, and and some people are looking at it or some traditions are looking at it from this. Uh, protection angle from your ancestors and others are looking at it as this is when stuff can easily come across and create mischief. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really fascinating. I mean, there's it, also traditions in in Scotland and Ireland uh, where people would pull pranks on each other and then blame it on fairies. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it was the fae. It was the fae. Yeah. So there is, and, and, and that's where like, I, I know that a lot of people, I, I, I see memes and I hear things about oh, this is a sacred holiday. No one should be like getting drunk and dressing all sexy and they should just be, this is a sacred spiritual holiday. And indeed it is, but there, it, traditionally as well, that we have ancient texts of, of talking about, you know, drinking mead to excess. Mm-hmm. And it was all about defying social conventions. That's very much rooted in this as well. And so if you work in a corporate environment, all year long and then you have one day where you can show cleavage and have a short skirt more power to you defy those social conventions yeah you want to get drunk okay go for it um and so you know the, it's not it's actually not as far off as some people think mm-hmm. where it gets tricky is how commercialized it is the consumer capitalism of all of that and, you know, people not taking stock of themselves, but just getting shit-faced and that's that. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with all that. I'm not saying everybody has to sit down and do shadow work for three days. But, you know, I just I, I just want to speak to the fact that if, you, if you're going to dress sexy and get drunk, it, you know, go for it. Yeah. In, in Ireland, they had a thing called... Um, Oh goodness, what was it called? Like mumming, I think it was called mumming. Mm-hmm. And they would go um and sing songs about death. Yes. Door to door in exchange for cake. So when the Irish when the mass immigration of the Irish to the United States happened, they brought all of these traditions with them. Yeah. 
Um, and then when the, you know, with Scott's coming over, then you have a whole different set of it within the same realm. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting that a lot of the stuff that happens is very, is more traditional than most people would think. Well, traditions also change over the years. Sure. And, oh, and, of course. And depending on where you go, like, yes, we're talking about, like, for some people, this is a very sacred spiritual holiday, but the same type of, uh, the same year or the same time of year and the same uh, sort of thoughts are also engaged with in Mexico in an extraordinarily different tradition. And so it, versus, you know, uh, Japan and, and uh, mm-hmm. Vietnam and, and you know, uh, Native America. I mean, there, these traditions change and meld over time, even within uh, the societies that we're trying to be deferential, deferential to. Uh, so it's, mm-hmm. I think we can, we can all like take a little bit of a uh, a breather on some of that stuff, but I think where I think the I, I just I think what I kind of want to return back to this that mm-hmm. idea of you 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 worship the way Vernon did magic, and yet you are not going to uh, look at the uh, you're not going to go back and do the work on the way the Georgia Magnet stuff came about, and right. I think that that's. There's not very many bizarre performers that I would go, oh, that like that is amazing. And here's like we all look to Eugene Berger as this mm-hmm. sort of like you know uh, pillar of the of bizarre magic. And it was you know because he studied you know different religions and different philosophies. I mean, he was mm-hmm. a he was an educated human teaching in a in an uh, academic format on many of yeah. these traditions, which is why the stuff that he did carry carries weight. You define yourself as a skeptic witch, and yes. that's why the way you approach this stuff. I mean, that's why Mystique has had you there for seven weeks <laughs> for, yeah. for for doing these things. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I I credit my skepticism to mm-hmm. Jamie Ian Swiss, and I you know, and then mm. I also credit some of my more bizarre stuff to the acting teacher who I started to work with when I was in Chris Angel's show. Yeah. As we talked about on the podcast, introducing me to Hecate. Yeah. And then slowly as I kind of got to know certain things in different lights and specifically for me after getting sober, that was kind of the main like shift Mm -hmm. between, Oh, I'm a staunch skeptic. That's that to, maybe there are things at play here that I, like, I'm very interested in the psychology of how we, how we believe this stuff. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And for me, it's very much the more I notice and the more I pay attention, you know, I, people will say, Oh my gosh, are you a psychic? And I say, oh, no, I'm not a psychic. And yeah. you know, in the way that you think of psychics, but I'm very sensitive and I pay attention. And that's, that's kind of my thesis because, um, the way my entire show works, like, yes, there are slights and yes, there's magic stuff at play, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, honestly, even more than doing billet switches or whatever, it's very much about choosing the right person, reading their faces, cold reading skills, Mm -hmm. 
and and also just being really intuitive about things. And that's something that I really want to impart upon more magicians is to lean into your intuitive side. That doesn't mean psychic, phony, psychic, all the stuff that the skeptic movement hates. I'm not saying that. There, there's something very real about like trusting that capital S self within you where you're creative, confident, curious. That's a big one. Compassionate, you know, all of these things. And um, and you can really act in ways that is, uh, that's really deep and meaningful. You know, and I, and I think that, that we shouldn't confuse deep and meaningful with uh, staid and serious because mm. I think that some of the some of the best uh, comedy magicians who have treated their audiences with compassion and the best sort of like charming close-up or, or, or you know just entertainers who we think of as like oh man that person is like at the top of their game I think they are letting themselves be intuitive and like leaning into the ability to play with an audience member in, absolutely and, and being compassionate with them and, uh, and that it doesn't necessarily mean that it's this ooky spooky or very serious presentation. You can still do that in a very no fun, playful what. way. I mean, if you, like, I love, I love, love, love Derek Hughes. You watch him. Yeah. He is so aware of everything that, and he's so in mm. the moment. He's so in tune with everything. And that's why his ad libs are, like, stunning mm -hmm. is because he's paying attention. Or even I remember so Matt is a, King. Sorry, no, Matt King is a perfect example, actually. Matt King yeah. is a better example than I, what I was going to say was Zabrecki. But Matt King is so sure. with um, his audience member. You know, Matt King told me, gosh, when I was very young in magic, I, I, I had asked him about like dealing with my peers on stage. Mm -hmm. I think I was 13 at this time, 13, 14. And I was asking him about how, you know, what's the best way to like deal with that situation. And he just said, you know, I have a moment with every spectator I bring up where I look him in the eyes and I take a breath and I just let them know through my face and eyes and general vibe. He didn't say vibe, but you mm -hmm. know what I mean? That everything is going to be okay. Yeah. That's really key. Even Max. Mm -hmm. who we think of as being stoic and snarky and you know, all of this, um, you know, he still, when spectators would come up, he would, when he sh would shake their hand, mm -hmm. uh, he would just have a moment of this is going to be okay. Yeah. Eugene did too. I mean, they, they yeah. all did. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they, there, there's something about, focusing on working on your compassion with your audience members and working with your tenderness that understanding the difference between the perception of that idea that the magic community has and what it actually means to be compassionate makes absolutely make, makes you not just a better performer but like a better human yes indeed indeed that's true but there's also something to be said just for like i think people believe in i am the magician mm -hmm. i am the star and there's like an e a sense of ego about you are watching me and i'm like doing this to you yeah. and you are just receiving what i am giving and or maybe not even giving just throwing 
depending on the person. Whereas the magic is imparting a sense of wonder. It's mm-hmm. like that beautiful Doug Henning quote about joy and wonder. And anywho, we're imparting a sense of wonder where we're, where we're shattering their realities and making them think twice about their perception of the way the world works. Mm-hmm. That is a meaningful, important thing. Yeah. That is imparting a sense of anti-nihilism into their lives. I mean, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And so that's something to have reverence for in and of itself. And to understand that this is an exchange. We're, we're, we're I mean, it's not even about receiving. It's, it's, a, it's, it's about them. I don't even know that exchange is the right way to put it in my opinion right now. So much as it's just, I, I, I just, I, this is about you. And, I, I'm just the vessel here. And, and imparting that moment of wonder, sort of like just even getting back to the, the where we started off with this on like understanding that just taking elements of what we would think of as like canonical elements of witchcraft or tarot or, you know, spookiness, and then just like throwing it at a trick in order to give it the idea of meaning is... Like it's not just being tender when you're, when you're actually being compassionate with your audience in the, in the true sense, you're giving them that, that, that whole routine, the, the premise of the routine, the way the routine looks, all of that goes along with that. And so Mm -hmm. like they can, your audience can smell if it's inauthentic. And so, and so if like, if you're just like doing an oil and water with tarot, because it's Halloween versus doing an oil and water with a standard poker deck. Like it's not necessarily going to make them feel anything. If that's what you're, right. if that's what you're wanting. Right. Yeah. You could, you could likely do more with a deck of cards in terms of making them feel something. Yeah. And, and, unless you... and still hone in on your Halloweeny vibes and get, absolutely. And, and get there. I mean, a- a- any, anything can be, can be, ma- I mean, Anything can be turned Halloweeny. Yeah, I mean, like, you want to you do a silk routine? You can make that Halloweeny. It doesn't have to be a pumpkin silk. You can still make it Halloweeny. Yeah, I mean, it's anything. I mean, even you want to look back at some of like the the most indelible horror elements uh, uh, of of the past. I mean, a ventriloquist doll is not inherently Halloweeny, but if you cr- craft a story around that doll being haunted and, you know, doing certain things or causing people to do things, then that doll that can provide as much, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to use air quotes here, uh, joy mm-hmm. as Jeff Dunham gives with, mm-hmm. with one mm-hmm. of his puppets or any, any other ventriloquist who's headlining in Las Vegas right now, that same dummy when used with the right intention and compassion can be a thing of absolute terror. Absolutely. And by the way, magic is one of my favorite films. Anthony Hopkins, be still my heart. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, that goes for, that, go, that goes yeah. for anything. And this is just about being creative and, um, you know, uh, look, just look to horror, look to what is scary and why. No, I completely agree with you on that stuff. And, uh, Kristen, I, I hate to cut you off here because I feel like I could talk to you all day, but, uh, that is going to have to do it for this uh, Halloween episode. We'll have to have you back on to talk about uh, spiritualists and uh, the 
the spiritualism movement and the the women who sort of built it. I'm going to have to have Absolutely. you back on for all of that. But uh, yeah, very curious. I would like to talk about how uh, you know seances have evolved from have evolved into a horror show and spook shows and all of that. It's fascinating. Fascinating. I'm absolutely into it. Kristen Lambert, thanks so much for joining us here on the Penguin Magic Podcast. Thank you so much, Eric. That's going to do it for today, kids. I'll be back this Thursday with your regularly scheduled show and all the magic news that is fit to dish. One small local show change alert. I will not be in Erie, Pennsylvania this weekend with Bobcat Goldthwaite. We've had some scheduling conflicts. We're going to have to figure out another time to perform together. But I will be in San Diego next week at the PCAM convention, and I'm looking forward to seeing everyone there. As always, we're a weekly podcast, so be sure to like and subscribe as well as share your favorite episodes on the social media platform that you're showing off all your Halloween costumes on. If you wanted to reach out to me about anything on this week's show, you'll have to put a taco costume on because Rocco and Bellatrix are matching tacos this year. But if dressing up dogs for Halloween isn't your cup of tea, you can always hit me up on Instagram at Eric Tate. That's at E-R-I-K-T-A-I-T. From me and everyone else here at the P3 Magic Studios, practice, practice, perform, and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.